It was a blessing to sing those songs together. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and we are back in verse 89. This, again, this psalm is known as the Mount Everest of the Bible, a title that was given by a a Bible scholar many years ago. And this stanza is the stanza that follows the Hebrew letter Lamed. So each, in the original language, in the Hebrew language, each verse of this stanza would be started with the Hebrew letter Lamed. But we begin tonight by looking at God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. We see in verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's faithfulness continues to all generations. We see in verse 90, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. And then verse 91, They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. As we were reminded of this morning by Brother Barr in this morning's message, God is eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This is a hard concept for our little minds. He was describing some of the attributes of God, and he was talking about eternity. And we think of a beginning and an end. We think of time and start time and end times and certain amounts of time. You go out to the cemetery. I don't know if any of you enjoy doing this kind of thing. There are several cemeteries around Lafayette. We haven't been uh, to very many, but Kelly and I were just talking the other day about how interesting it is sometimes to go to the cemetery and to see some of the old tombstones. And I know it sounds kind of a morbid thing, but there are some interesting historical things that you learn. We were at a cemetery uh, near Mammoth Cave down in Kentucky, and we, we walked out, and we were looking at some of the tombstones, and there was a whole family. And it was from infants all the way up to uh, adults, and we realized that there had probably been a plague or something, a disease that had gone through, or maybe some miscarriages or stillborns. But it was seven, eight tombstones next to maybe a little chapel. The whole family pretty much had, had been buried there. And we think of a birth date or a birth year and a uh, time that that individual went uh, into eternity and there's a year and we are that our life is that dash in between and we think of I remember when we first uh, had that positive test that Kelly was pregnant with our very first with Emily and uh, it was that startling reality that I am now a father and Kelly is now a mother and yes that birth date was some nine months away But that reality of that positive uh, test, that Kelly was pregnant, and there was the start of a a journey that still continues to this day. And uh, I remember the early doctor's appointment and uh, the doctor looking at us and saying, okay, this is the start of your journey, and sometimes it is like a roller coaster. And there will be the ups and the downs, and there will be the twists and the turns, but uh, he, was, he was a Catholic doctor. He had a faith in, in God. I know he was not uh, of our faith, and I believe it was uh, that doctor that told us that, and I believe he was Catholic, uh, but uh, he, was, he was talking about uh, trusting the Lord or something to that effect. He knew that we were uh, believers, and though his uh, belief system uh, would be uh, not considered scriptural, he still had this idea, uh, and he had the right concept that 
there is a God, we know the one true God of the Bible, and he was speaking of that journey of life. But we have a start date, and then thankfully, by the grace of God and by the fact that he made us in his image, we are eternal in that respect. We don't have an end date, though we have a death date. And though there is a spiritual death, and we talk about the great white throne judgment, we don't ever go away. We don't vanish. We don't believe in this idea of annihilation. We have an eternal soul. Yes, we have a start date, and yes, we have a physical death date, but our soul continues into eternity, either in heaven or in hell. But God is eternal. He always was and always will be. If you've ever taken time to try to meditate upon that, it makes your brain hurt. It's hard to imagine a God who always was. There was never a start date. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Sometimes growing up, a Bible teacher would put a circle on the board. And he would talk about, he or she would talk about the no beginning and no end. And the circle trying to be a way to illustrate or describe the fact that God is eternal. The psalmist declares that in verse 89, forever, O Lord. And then he goes further and he equates the very attributes, the very character of God with what? His word. Thy word is settled in heaven. So he is equating the word of God being forever with the very character of God who is eternal because we know that the word of God is the written word and we know that Jesus Christ is the living word and the word, John 1, in verse number 1, and the word was with God and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. So we have Jesus Christ who is God and he is the living word We have revealed to us the written word, so God's word is eternal. And the eternal God has declared to us, through his revelation, general revelation in creation, he's going to speak to that here in this psalm. We know that he has given us the conscience, a conscience that also is a reflection or a general revelation, a reflection of who God is and how he made us. And then there's the soul, the eternal part of man. God has set eternity in man, as we know from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 3. But then he gave us special revelation, the written word of God in Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. So God is eternal. So that means his word is eternal. And we read here, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. Where? In heaven. God's abode, God's presence, that eternal presence, and thy faithfulness is unto all generations. So here is a word used in verse number 90 that some scholars, they debate, is this a reference to the word of God or is this one of the verses in the psalm that do not specifically reference the word of God. Well, I believe that the word faithfulness is speaking not just to the attributes of God, but it's speaking to the word of God itself. I believe that the word faithfulness is another one of those words that we could use to describe the word of God. And thy faithfulness is unto all generations. 
God is eternal and God's word is forever. Matthew 24 and verses 34 and 35, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, the application, we understand in the context, it is a reference to specifically prophecy. All that God prophesies, all that God predicts, all that he proclaims will be fulfilled. So, understanding God's word as his revelation, then everything that God says, everything that he has declared in his word is true, is faithful, and we and will be fulfilled exactly the way God says it. He will accomplish his will. He will accomplish his purpose. Again, we are fallible human beings. You can just ask my kids how many times I have said, I'm going to do this, or we're going to do this, or we're going to go here, or we're going to do that. And sometimes I'm just throwing the idea out there. Sometimes I really intend to make this happen. And no matter how hard I try, sometimes it just doesn't happen. Something breaks around the house. There's a car repair. There's something that interrupts the financial situation so that we can't do that. There's something that comes up on the schedule. Or sometimes I just simply forget, or I forget to plan. Or I open up my big mouth and I think that I can do something that I really can't accomplish. But God, when he declares something, he will do it. He will do it. His word is forever. God is eternal. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Isn't that an incredible thought? That even after we've been in heaven for 10,000 years, sometimes we sing Amazing Grace and we add, instead of 10,000 years, we make it 10 million years or 1 billion years. I don't know if we've ever done that and sung the, the song, uh, the hymn Amazing Grace, and then added uh, millions or billions of years there. We will have the testimony 10,000, 10 billion, 10 trillion years from now, we will still have this testimony. That God's grace is always faithful. That God is always faithful. That his word is true. And that his word is settled in heaven and it is forever. And the word of God that was preached as Peter is saying, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And he is, in a sense, saying that the gospel that saves will save for eternity. So if we've been in heaven 10 billion years, are we worried about, oh, well, you know, in 10 years, the gospel might run out. God's saving grace might eventually, the the needle is on E. And we're hoping that we can get to the gas station. Is that the way it's going to be in eternity with the gospel, with the grace of God? Uh Uh-oh, it might run out. No, it's eternal. Once saved, always saved. And saved for eternity. I probably drive Kelly crazy sometimes because I'm one that drives the car and the needle can be just a little bit above the E. She likes it half full or higher at all times. Not me. I'll go, and now you have those electronic digital displays on your vehicle, and it tells you exactly how many miles you have left. I was driving home from 
somewhere, and it was ticking down, and it was down to 15, 14, 13, 12. I think I was coming up 52, and I was thinking, I'm so glad Kelly's not with me. Because, you know, there's that marathon station down the south side off of Veterans Parkway. And I was like, yeah, I was coming up 52. And I was like, okay, 10, 9, all right, I can see the station. I'm going to get there. I'm going to make it. Do we have to worry about that in glory, in heaven? That the grace of God is going to run out? That there's going to be that needle that's going to be dropping? No. God's word is forever. Thy word is forever settled in heaven. The gospel that saves, saves for eternity. The psalmist speaks of thy faithfulness, God's word being unto all generations. There's the eternal aspect of that. But then let's also think about the near aspect of that. Okay, Is it not the case for each of the generations we talk about? Gen X and baby boomers and Gen Z and Gen Alpha and do we dare say millennials? Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, millennials get a bad rap sometimes, don't they, right? But each generation has its weaknesses and its strengths. Each generation has its flaws. But isn't God's word faithful to each and every generation? I sometimes get tired of this talk about, well, the, the word of God, church, all that Bible stuff, that, that was good back in the, the 50s or back in the 1800s. Oh, it worked back then, but, you know, we, we, we got to get things up, up to the times. We're in the 21st century. We, we have to get progressive. I get so tired of that. The Word of God is always relevant. The Word of God is faithful in every generation and to every generation. Every generation needs to be saved by the grace of God, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and no one gets saved some other way. Each of us have to come as sinners, needy sinners, repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Each and every generation must come to Christ the same way, in saving faith, by faith alone in Christ alone. So the gospel, the word of God, is relevant to each and every generation. And the word of God is eternal because God is eternal. We see here in verse 90, thou hast established the earth and it abideth. And then notice in verse 91, there's a pronoun, they. They continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. All are thy servants. So we see the pronoun they, we see all are thy servants. Who is this a reference to? What is this speaking of? So we see generations in verse 90. We see at the end of verse 90, we see thou hast established the earth and it abideth. So generations, reference to time, reference to people, Okay, but also we notice the specific reference to the earth, and it abideth. They continue this day according to thine ordinances. Okay, there's people. Each generation needs the word of God. Each generation needs the truth of God's word, needs the gospel. But also the psalmist is making a reference to the fact that the earth, the natural laws, the 
planets, the grass, the plants, all of the elements that make up the earth, all the systems, they all function according to God's orders, according to God's commands, and He holds them all together. By Him they all consist. Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. We'll turn there just briefly, and you may have this passage memorized. But Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. They continue, verse 91, they continue this day according to thine ordinances. God holds this whole universe together. He created it. He put all the natural laws into place. He put all the elements into place. Man discovers, man has resources that he then is able to have dominion over. But it is God who holds it all. And it's according to his ordinances. By him all things consist. So the natural laws function according to God's orders. The systems of space and time, they follow his precise commands. In just a few weeks, uh, Brother Clark will be uh, delivering a a series on creation once again. uh, I don't have his mind when it comes to chemistry and physics, but the fact that Dan Clark can stand in a classroom and describe the things about chemistry and physics and biology is because man can discover God's order and design in creation. They follow his ordinances. They follow his commands. And one of the things that we see in creation, and I'm not going to say it right, but I understand that there are six aspects to the ecological cycle. I'm not going to say it correctly, but I was reading one time and this particular author was describing six different parts of the ecological cycle. And he said every single one of those, from the hydraulic cycle to everything that he was describing in this article, he said every single one of those had to exist simultaneously at the exact same time, at the exact same moment, or there would not be life. That alone is a testimony to creation. Because if it was all by time, chance, and lady luck, how could all of these systems have all been in sequence and simultaneously come together at the exact same time, at the exact order, at the precise moment for there to be life? It would be impossible if it were by chance, if it were by billions and millions of years, if it were by lady luck. No, it was God who created them and he put them in precise order so that there would be life. So we as human beings, we're not always so obedient to God's commands as the systems of time and space and all the different cycles of life. We're not always so obedient, are we? I was fascinated, uh, Josiah and I, uh, Josiah is a little bit of a, a little astronomist, and uh, he enjoys all that space and planets and all that. And so Wednesday night was 
a, a, a blue moon, super moon, blue moon, something like that. And so after church on Wednesday night, we, uh, we went over to uh, a parking garage, univers- the university uh, place, whatever it's called, or university parking garage, or university street or whatever it's called. And we went up to the top floor, got up to the very top of that parking garage, and we looked at the moon in all of its glory. And it was beautiful moon. There were Purdue students up there. Some of them were having campfires or something on the top of the parking garage. I didn't know there was that, some, that much activity on, uh, on the top of a parking garage at 10 o'clock at night. But we were up there and we were, how, how, how could the astronomers, how could the scientists have known? And help me out, Josiah, when's the next time there's going to be 2037 before there's going to be another lunar cycle that's going to match what we just experienced this past week. How could the scientists, how could the astronomers, how could they know that, 2037? How do they know there's going to be, is it a solar eclipse that's going to be next year? Is it a solar eclipse? How do they know that? Because God ordered, God designed, and man can discover because God holds that all together. It's part of his natural law. He designed all that, ordered all that, And they obey his commands. So why don't we obey? Like the the lunar cycle, like the planets, like God's natural creation. As human beings made in God's image, yes, we can express our will beyond that of an inanimate object or some irrational creature. We don't just function by instinct. We have a rational mind. We aren't animals. But we are still subject to God's sovereign will. We are still subject to God's sovereign will. We are commanded to submit to his will, revealed to us in general in creation through the conscience, through the fact that we have eternity in our hearts, the soul. We talked about that a few minutes ago. But are we not commanded to submit to his will that's not just generally revealed, but specifically revealed in his word? Has God not given us principles, commands, promises that we are to obey, that we are to claim, that we are to live by? But so often we're disobedient. But we never, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we rebel, no matter how much we want to try to go against God's order and deny human life or deny gender and sex, and deny all of the realities that God has created and try to upset God's design, no matter how much man tries to do that and suffers the consequences for it, God is still sovereign. God is still in control. Proverbs 16 and verse number 1, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Oh, we can have thoughts and we can have plans and we can have ideas But ultimately, God is still in control. We talked about this a little bit on Monday night in our uh, campus Bible study. And it was uh, interesting as we were talking about how God has led in our lives and how we have to submit our plans, our goals, our desires to the Lord. We all have plans and goals and desires. We talked about this on Monday night uh, with the college students If we don't have plans, if we don't have desires, if we don't have goals, there's probably something wrong with us. We're going to find ourselves, and I use this illustration way too much, we're going to find ourselves 
at disc replay at 2 o'clock on an afternoon when we should be doing something with our lives. We're going to be in our pajamas, having not showered or bathed in days, standing in a disc replay renting a video that has been out of date for 30 years. Now, I'm using a stereotype because disc replay is just one of those places where you go in, if you've ever been in one, and there's a stereotype, and I'm not trying to say it's wrong to go to a disc replay. You can get some good discount electronic devices there and maybe an old movie or something. But sometimes you walk into a place like that, and there's a stereotypical 40-something, 30-something-year-old, typically young male or middle-aged male, and he's still wearing the pajamas that he wore three days ago. He probably hasn't put much deodorant on and hasn't bathed or showered much in the last three days. And it's no wonder when you walk into disc replay, they have major air fresheners going on. There's a reason for that, right? Okay. I use that stereotype not to disparage a particular group of people, but if you don't have dreams, if you don't have goals, if you don't have visions, if you don't have desires, if there's nothing that drives and determines and there's no goals and there's no purpose in life, then we're going to destroy ourselves. One of the things that's causing this high rate of suicide is the purposelessness that is so now inherent and ingrained in our society. If we're not created beings, then what does this life matter? If it's all up to time and chance and lady luck, then why even do anything that's worthwhile? Why not just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? But we read in Proverbs 16 and verse number 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And then in Psalm 37 and verse 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth. God delighteth in his way. Wouldn't it be so much better to order our steps by the Lord? Let the Lord direct our steps. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understandings in all thy ways. What, what are we supposed to do in all thy ways? Acknowledge him. Know him. And he, he shall direct thy steps, direct thy paths. We have God's sovereign will that we can fight and we can argue against and we can try to get out of God's design and God's order, but ultimately God is in control. He will accomplish his will. Wouldn't it be so much better to submit our desires and submit our goals and our dreams, submit our lives to him, surrender ourselves as a living sacrifice, first of all, as a saved individual and as a surrendered living sacrifice, yield ourselves to him and obey his commands and fulfill his will? He is a good God. He is an eternal God, but he is eternally good. He is eternally holy. And in doing his will, we find purpose. We find meaning for life. And ultimately, it's for his glory. And then he desires to reward us. Isn't that amazing? That he desires to use us. He makes our life meaningful. And then when we live our life for him, he rewards us. There's heaven, there's crowns, there's gold, silver, and precious stones. There's the promises of we are faithful in the little things. He will make us faithful in the big things that even has an eternal application. It's amazing. What a wonderful God we serve. No wonder we can sing, oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. 
It truly is the greatest life worth living. So we come to our second point tonight. Only two points, don't worry. (laughs) Just two points, two main points. God sustains us with his word. Look at verses 92 through 96. Unless thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. We go on in verse 93. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. The wicked have waited for me to destroy me, but I will consider thy testimonies. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. God sustains us with his word. We trust his promises, his principles, and his commands, even when people, circumstances, and temptations put pressure on us to doubt his word and to disobey his word. We lay hold of God's promises. We lay hold of these truths. Like the psalmist said, unless thy, thy law had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. We live in a perishing world today. We live in a dying world today that is not providing answers for the true questions of life, the greatest questions of life. We find them in God's word. It's in God's word. It's in his precepts. As we delight in them, then we have a life. We have an eternal life, but we have a life right now. A life from the Lord, a a life that gushes forth like a fountain, as Jesus would describe in in the Gospels. Particularly in the Gospel of John, as we were going through the Gospel of John, he talked about his life being like a fountain, gushing forth with water. We have a life right now that comes by the power of God, by His grace, that we then can share with others as we had a tremendous opportunity this weekend to do. People who were sitting right here in these pews, who were in a a place where they were hearing the gospel for the very first time. Some of them had never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. As a hearing-impaired individual, as a deaf individual, some of them had never had the gospel explained to them like they did this weekend. And Heather's texting me Saturday night, and she's talking about an individual who said that Saturday was the greatest day he had ever had. Isn't that incredible? I don't know if that man has come to Christ, but he's close. He heard the gospel. He found a place where there's life, there's meaning, there's hope, there's joy, there's satisfaction. God sustains us through his word. He talks about, and we use this, uh, in verse 93, we uh, see the word quickened there. Thou hast quickened me, made alive, revived. Verse 94, he talks about salvation. I am thine, save me, for I have sought thy precepts. There's the giving of life. There's the sustaining of life. There's the reviving of life. There's the giving of life. And then there is, in verse 94, that reminder of the saving of life. God continues. Yes, there's that salvation moment where we trust Christ by faith, by faith alone in Christ alone, and we're saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and we look forward to the day when we will no longer be in the presence of sin, 
But isn't there a saving aspect in our sanctification process where we are continually, in a sense, saved from ourselves and saved from our sinful condition and from the bent of our hearts, if not for the saving grace of God and the sustaining and the sanctifying grace of God, we can see what we would be if not for the Lord. That psalm, the psalmist is reminded through his word, and this is why it's so important that we be under and be, we be in and we be memorizing and meditating and be surrounded by the word of God all the time. Not that we don't have uh, other responsibilities in life, jobs and family responsibilities, but the fact that the, the word of God so be so much a delight because we constantly need the saving aspect of the word of God in our hearts and our lives because temptations come. Trials come, and many times we are literally being saved from ourselves, from our own doubts and our own wrong thoughts and our own disobediences. And we need that, like the psalmist cried out, as I delight in the Lord, he, he saves me, I am dying, save me. And then he talks about the wicked in verse 95, and he says, when the wicked comes to destroy me. They have waited for me to destroy me. We talked about the wicked last week. We talked about persecutions and we talked about how those who are evil are constantly trying to defeat and to destroy and to discourage those who are living for the Lord. But when the wicked have waited for me to destroy me, I will consider thy testimonies. Maybe it's in your workplace. There's the constant Badgering, the constant worldliness, the constant whatever it is, the vulgarity, the innuendos, the temptations, the pressures, whatever it is. Maybe it's in a place of recreation, a ball team, or maybe it's uh, somewhere else in, in your life where there just seems to be this constant assault, this constant pressure, and we know that God has put us there. How do we deal with that? We deal with it through God's testimonies, through his declarations of who he is, how he has revealed himself in his word. Again, his promises, his commands, his principles. He said, when the wicked have waited for me, I will consider thy testimonies. And then we come to the end of this stanza, and we see in verse 96 an interesting phrase. As we think about God sustaining us with his word, look at verse 96. I have seen an end of all perfection. But thy commandment is exceeding broad. This is an interesting phrase. End of all perfection. I have seen an end of all perfection. Reading different commentaries, different scholars, there's a little bit of debate. But basically the sense of what the psalmist is saying is that I have exhausted or I have searched all of the limits of life. He's exhausted all the limits of life. As much as he possibly has looked and seen and done, there are, the, there are these limits of life. In looking at all of life and all that life can offer, from physical pleasures to monetary pleasures to whatever that life can offer, I've exhausted the limits of them. And he says, thy commandment is exceeding broad. What is he saying? It is God and only God that fully and truly satisfies. 
We're thankful for God's blessings in our life, a godly spouse, children, all the joys of life, people that God brings into our life who care for us and love us and the compassion they share and the sympathies and the way our church has loved one another through these last couple weeks has been a tremendous joy and blessing. And we're thankful for those. But people disappoint us. People let us down. Money runs out. The car breaks down. That nice car or that beautiful house has some problem. There's all these things that we look to for meaning in life, for satisfaction in life, for joy and happiness in life, and all of them, in some way, shape, or form, they fail. They let us down. But God never lets us down. In thy commandments, he says, thy commandments, thy commandment is exceeding broad. It is full. It is rich. It encompasses everything. Life runs out. Temporal things run out, break. Ross, excuse me, rust and moth. Moth and rust doth corrupt. I didn't say it right. Moth and rust doth corrupt. Thieves break in and steal. As we read there in the book of Matthew. So we seek first the kingdom of God. We set our affections on things above. And the psalmist is in a sense saying that here in verse 96. And then we close with the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 1. If we'll turn there, and this sort of wraps this up for us tonight. Ecclesiastes, chapter number 1, as the psalmist wrote in verse 96. In Ecclesiastes, we have, if, if the psalmist is David, which is very likely Psalm 119 has been written, was written by the inspiration of God, David being the human author, Solomon was his son possibly the wisest, possibly the richest man ever to live. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've ever studied the book of Ecclesiastes, it goes back and forth. Here's man's perspective, here's God's perspective. Back and forth, all throughout. And in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12, I, the preacher, Solomon, was king, over, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is what? Vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this... Also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Solomon's saying, I've tried a little bit of everything. I've looked to wisdom, I've looked to riches, I've looked to everything that I possibly can try to find happiness and joy and satisfaction in. And it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. This is Solomon writing by the inspiration of God, but he's allowed by God to... Bear his heart, humanly speaking, as to uh, purely man's perspective of life. And isn't that where a lot of people are at right now? There's a hopelessness, there's a meaninglessness. And as he writes, we come to Ecclesiastes 12, in verse number 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. 
While the evil days come not, nor the days, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. He says, remember. As I'm thinking about everything in life from man's perspective, he comes back to this eternal perspective. Remember, remember now thy creator. And then he concludes in verses 13 and 14 of Ecclesiastes 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And that brings us back to Psalm 119 in verse 96 as we close tonight. I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. Let's not forget God's precepts. God sustains us with his word and God's faithfulness. His word continues to all generations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, these truths. Thank you, Lord, for your people so faithful. Lord, thank you for all that you've done this weekend. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Help us to go out from here and to serve you faithfully this week, to love you more, to serve you better. And Lord, we pray that you will use your word in hearts and lives through the gospel that was preached so very clearly and plainly. May, Lord, we see fruit as you bless, as there have been seeds sown, there has been seeds that have been watered. We pray, Lord, that you will give the increase and help us, Lord, to live for you this week.